Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so before we get into today's episode, I do have to announce, as promised, my upcoming event in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. So my new book, Friday Barnes Last Chance, which is the 11th book in the series, is going to come out at the very beginning of February 2023. So I am going to be launching the book on the 28th of January, uh, 2023, at the State Library of Victoria at noon. So if you would like to come, uh, you can buy a ticket at eventbrite.com. So the, the, the URL is fridaybarns.eventbrite.com. And Eventbrite is spelled E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E. So yeah, just fridaybarns.eventbrite.com and you'll be able to get tickets there. So there's about 190 seats. So um, get in and get a ticket if you'd like to come. Is there anything else you need to know? I don't think so. So that's exciting because we've got the Christmas show coming up for people in Sydney and then the book launch of Friday Barns 11 coming up for people in Melbourne. Um, and then for people in the rest of Australia, I'm hoping to expand these shows out and do more in the rest of the country, uh, this time next year. So, um, we're still all getting back onto the usual routine of things after COVID. So hopefully I'll be able to expand all these things soon and come and see everyone, or at least give you all the opportunity to come and see me live. And, uh, for people overseas, I do want to get to you. <laughs> I lo- no one loves travel more than me. Hopefully soon I will get overseas again. We'll see. All right, now let's get on with the story for today. Today we're going to do the true history of Galileo according to Nanny Piggins. All right, so here we go. Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children were staring at the oven. Normally, when they did this, they were watching a cake bake, barely able to contain their excitement because soon they would be shoving the delicious creation into their mouths. They weren't so excited on this occasion because on this occasion, they were not watching a cake bake. No, they were watching a physics textbook. Rest assured, they were not intending to eat the textbook. They had not lost their senses, at least not to that degree. They were baking the textbook in the oven because there had been an unfortunate accident on the way home from school. Nanny Piggins and the children had been walking along, talking happily about their day, as usual. This mainly involved complaining about teachers, which Nanny Piggins enjoyed enormously. She'd learned some very colourful insults when she was at the circus, and she liked getting to use a broad range of them when they discussed teachers. The problem occurred when they were just two blocks from their house. Nanny Piggins smelled something. Stop! she cried, throwing out her arms to prevent the children from taking another step closer. What is it? asked Derek. I can smell something, said Nanny Piggins. Something bad, asked Michael, like a landmine. Or an angry librarian, asked Samantha. 
Or an angry librarian carrying a landmine? asked Derek. Nanny Piggins sniffed the air. <laughs> no, I smell something good. Very good. She sniffed a few more times. Cinnamon, nutmeg, butter, sugar. And she sniffed again. Correction, demerara sugar and lingonberries. Huh? said Michael. What's a lingonberry? asked Samantha. Has it got anything to do with Abraham Lincoln? asked Derek. He wishes, said Nanny Piggins. No, it's a berry, like a cranberry, but not as tart. Nanny Piggins took one deep sniff. If I'm not mistaken, and I rarely am when it comes to identifying baked products by smell alone, Hans the baker has recently received a shipment of lingonberries from the Netherlands and made an experimental batch of chocolate and lingonberry muffins, and he's left some in our letterbox. No, on top of the doorstep. For us to try. How do you know it was Hans? asked Michael. By the smell, of course, said Nanny Piggins. His nutmeg to cinnamon ratio is as unique to my nose as fingerprints to a police computer. More unique, because you can bribe a police officer to print the wrong results, whereas my nose will never tell a lie. Are Lincolnberry chocolate muffins good? asked Samantha. There's only one way to find out, said Nanny Piggins. Last one there is a rotten egg! Nanny Piggins took off running. The children did too. Now, Nanny Piggins was a highly gifted athlete, but she was wearing stiletto heels and a figure-hugging pencil skirt. Plus, she was a diminutive pig, so her legs were only 32 centimetres long. Whereas Derek was wearing his sports uniform and sneakers, and he was quite a tall boy, so his legs were 85 centimetres in length. So as they took off running, Derek was alongside Nanny Piggins. If she had been patient, Derek would have fallen back, because leg length will only get you so far. Nanny Piggins had unlimited stamina where Cake was concerned. She would have outstripped him eventually. But Nanny Piggins had no patience where cake was concerned. Even if that cake was only a muffin with no icing, it was still cake in her eyes. And when there was a prospect of cake, she was overcome with a wild, visceral passion. And sometimes this passion caused her to behave in a slightly less than ladylike manner. So as Nanny Piggins ran side by side with Derek, she may have, accidentally, swung her arm a little bit more wildly than was necessary and with a bit more strength than was needed. She also may have thrown her hips sideways just a little bit. Anyway, as a result of these barely conscious actions on her part, Derek was knocked sideways, tripped over an azalea bush and landed in Mrs. Lau's fish pond. Now, I want to assure you, Derek was fine. He was a very accomplished swimmer, and the pond was only knee-deep, so he just needed to stand up and step out. There was no harm done to his person. And Nanny Piggins did eventually come to her senses. After shoving three muffins in her mouth, the sugar had its soothing effect. She became ashamed of her behaviour, ran back to Derek and shoved three muffins in his mouth, in the spirit of sportsmanship. So there was no harm done. Well, none done to Derek. The same could not be said for his physics textbook. You see, Derek had been carrying his school bag on his back when he fell in the pond, and the textbook was inside. It had been drenched. A fact Derek did not notice until they'd all gone home and eaten another half dozen muffins each and established that Hans' experiments with lesser-known berries were very good. Nanny Piggins indeed concluded that if he just removed the lingonberry from the lingonberry and chocolate muffins, they would be nothing short of excellent. 
All the while, the textbook was sitting in Derek's waterlogged bag, and the pages were soaking up the pond water like a sponge. When Derek finally took out the book to do his homework, he was horrified. The book was totally drenched. What am I going to do? He cried. My physics assignment is due tomorrow, and I can't read the book because all the pages are stuck together with water. The book really was soaked. The pages had gone all soft, and if he tried to pull them apart, they'd tear. And that is how the textbook came to be in the oven. They were trying to dry it out. How long do you think it's going to take? Asked Derek. Well, a chocolate cake takes forty minutes in a moderate oven," said Nanny Piggins. "But a physics textbook is so much more boring. It could take hours. What am I going to do?" asked Derek. "The assignment's due first thing in the morning. Even if it does dry in a few hours, I won't have time to read it and write the essay on Galileo." Galileo," said Nanny Piggins. "You have to write an essay about Galileo, as in Galileo Galilei, the famous Italian astronomer and physicist." Yeah, that's the one," said Derek. "Do you know about him?" "Of course I do," said Nanny Piggins. "In fact, I know a great deal more than you because I know that she was a pig." "Of course she was," said Samantha. "Was her name Piggins by any chance?" asked Michael. "No, don't be ridiculous," said Nanny Piggins. "Her real name was Galileo Galilei Piggenzio because she was from the Italian branch of the family. They Italianized their names so they'd fit in more." Of course," said Boris, "because being a pig and a physicist might raise eyebrows. Otherwise, pigism was rife in the Renaissance, and of course, no one liked physicists. So, what exactly did Galileo do?" asked Derek. He realized that Nanny Piggins's version of the historical events was unlikely to match up with those printed in his textbook. But his textbook didn't reflect what was written in it at the moment, so he didn't have much alternative. Galileo was born in Pisa, in Italy, in 1564. Began Nanny Piggins, which was her first great disappointment. Her mother had gone to Pisa thinking it was a pizza, not realizing the difference in spelling, and was naturally bitterly disappointed to find that it was just a gorgeous city in Tuscany. When Galileo was born, she was, of course, being a Piggenzio, a very beautiful baby. All the other mothers quite regretted having human babies after seeing her. Her legs were so short, her eyes were so round, and from the day she was born, she could fit an entire bowl of tiramisu in her mouth, including the bowl. But as she grew older, it became apparent that Galileo had something terribly wrong with her. Oh no," said Samantha. "That's awful." Samantha was often bullied herself at school, what with having a mother who was missing and a nanny who was a farm animal, and because her pencil case was not the same brand as everyone else. So Samantha hated to think of someone else having to endure similar cruelty. Hey, parents! Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you and for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. What was wrong with her? Asked Michael. Galileo was incredibly good at math," said Nanny Piggins. "Oh," said Derek. "Astonishingly good from day one, and she just got better and better every day," said Nanny Piggins. "And that's a bad thing?" Asked Derek. "Of course it is," said Nanny Piggins. 
No one likes talking about maths at the best of times. But when you talk about mathematics so complicated that you're describing concepts no one else on earth can understand yet, then you're going to be a very dull dinner party companion. Everyone else wants to talk about who's been kissing who behind the local gelato shop. And Galileo just wanted to describe the laws of momentum or the parabolic path of objects in motion. Oh, although to be fair, sometimes the fields of physics and love do collide, particularly when trapeze artists fall in love. But this was the 1500s, so it was lonely knowing so much more than everybody else. Luckily, Pisa was just the place to be a scientific genius, because just 200 years earlier, the local cathedral had built themselves a bell tower. But because they were cheap, they had hired a contractor who didn't own a set square and had no understanding of the importance of building foundations. And so, even as it was being constructed, this tower started to lean. Oh, I've heard of that. The leaning tower of pizza, said Michael. Pizza, said Nanny Piggins. If it had been made out of pizza, that would have been so much better. When it started to lean, the citizens of the city could have rushed forward and eaten it, giving the builder the opportunity to start over again. But that was not the case. He foolishly made his tower out of marble. So when it started to lean, there was nothing that could be done. Naturally, Galileo was drawn to the leaning structure, said Nanny Piggins. It looks so ridiculous when you see it. It's hard not to be. Because she was a great scientist and she wanted to help fix it, guessed Derek. No, said Nanny Piggins, because she was a great scientist and she had an overwhelming urge to drop things off the top of it. The children nodded. They knew their own nanny often got this urge herself. They often spent an otherwise dull afternoon dropping things, usually their father's things, off the roof. Nanny Piggins said it was educational. The children needed to learn about gravity and terminal velocity. But they suspected she also enjoyed the smashing sound things made, particularly big things, when they hit the ground. She also enjoyed teaching their father a lesson about not providing an adequate cake budget to support his family. So Galileo climbed up the stairs and there were a tremendous amount of them. 269, said Nanny Piggins. Those 14th century Pisans thought they were so clever. But really, it's irresponsible to build a tower that tall when the elevator hasn't been invented yet. Plus, the staircase in the Leaning Tower is a spiral staircase. So apart from getting puffed, by the time you get to the top, you're also dizzy. Galileo got to the top, looked over the edge and felt positively nauseous. She wasn't sick, was she, asked Samantha. No, thank goodness, said Nanny Piggins, because there were people standing immediately below at the base of the tower. So Galileo immediately realised it would be irresponsible to drop things off the top of the tower, which was a tremendous disappointment. But the tower did afford a lovely view, and as she looked out, she spotted a brand new cake shop she had never tried before. In her excitement, she leaned right over the railing to get a closer sniff, and as she did, the contents of her pockets fell out. Oh my gosh, said Samantha, please don't say she had an anvil in her pocket. Or a house brick, said Michael. Or an axe, added Derek. No, she didn't, said Nanny Piggins. But she did have a slice of pound cake and a piece of meringue. They both toppled the 55 metres to the ground where they hit two separate people on the head. The person who was hit by the pound cake said, ow, and the person who was hit by the meringue said, yum. But the crucial scientific observation she made was that they both said this at the exact same moment. And that was her first great scientific breakthrough. 
that was a great scientific breakthrough, asked Derek. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. Until that point, people had thought that heavy things drop faster than light things. But by dropping a heavy cake and a light, airy meringue and proving that they dropped at the same speed, she proved that gravity was a constant. She repeated the experiment time and time again, said Nanny Piggins, which was another scientific breakthrough, the idea of repeating an experiment to make sure the results always stayed the same. This, in fact, became known as the scientific method. Eventually, after dropping a lot of cake and a lot of meringue, she moved on to dropping cannonballs because she didn't like to waste cake, and she was able to measure gravity precisely. Thanks to her, ever since, when you drop something off a building, you can calculate exactly when the person standing underneath will say ow. Cool, said Michael. Indeed, said Nanny Piggins. If she hadn't worked that out, I would have made some very nasty landings in my time as a flying pig. So that's all I need to know for my physics assignment, asked Derek. Oh, no, said Nanny Piggins. That wasn't Galileo's big discovery. Dropping things off towers was just her starting point. Next, she started staring at the sun. I thought you weren't meant to do that because it could hurt your eye, said Michael. Yes, indeed it can, said Nanny Piggins. You have to use a special lens made out of toffee to view it safely. Don't you mean a special lens made out of glass, said Samantha? Well, I suppose that would work too, agreed Nanny Piggins. In fact, Galileo had read about a recent invention called a telescope, said Nanny Piggins. She liked the idea of being able to see things a great distance away, so she made her own out of a long tube with a lens at either end. It was hard work making toffee clear enough to make a telescopic lens, said Nanny Piggins, and it was even harder to resist licking it, so she did eventually swap to making the lenses out of glass. Then she used this telescope to study all the things she could see in the sky. Galileo watched the sun and the moon and the stars and followed the patterns in which they moved about the sky, said Nanny Piggins, and she began to suspect that the sun did not move about the earth. It doesn't, says Derek. Yes, we all know that now, said Nanny Piggins. But in the 1500s, there were great nincompoops who thought they were so important that everything was about them. Therefore, the sun had to revolve around them because they were the most important thing in the universe. That sounds very egotistical, said Samantha. Some humans do have a very high opinion of themselves, said Nanny Piggins. It amazes me. You're a lovely species, but you've only got two legs and a very substandard nose. So why you'd think that astronomical bodies moved in relation to you is baffling. Galileo didn't like to make a fuss correcting everybody, but she felt she ought to let people know that their planet was orbiting. So she wrote a little book explaining that the Earth and all the planets moved about the sun, which was pretty obvious if you owned a telescope because you could see Venus going across in front of the sun. Anyway, she published the book, then went back to having fun dropping things off things and launching things through the sky in great arcs. That was until all heckadoodle broke loose because someone at the church read her book. What's the church got to do with astronomy, asked Derek. The church ran everything back then, said Nanny Piggins, especially in Italy. And they got very cross and made Galileo go to Rome so they could tell her off. She said she was sorry, but she must have had her trotters crossed behind her back because when she got home, she wrote another book about how she wasn't sorry and she listed all the scientific evidence proving that she was right. So a lot of nincompoops felt that she was saying that they were nincompoops, which nincompoops never like. So she was put under house arrest. Does that mean she had to lie down and be crushed by her own house? asked Michael. 
No, it wasn't quite that bad, said Nanny Piggins. She just had to stay in a house for the rest of her life, which was another ten years. It was very mean, but her house was in Italy, so the food was very good. So she lived unhappily ever after in prison for finding out things no one wanted to believe. The end. That's a terrible story, said Michael. That's because it's history, and history is often based on reality, said Nanny Piggins. And history always is horrible to someone or other, which is why history books never sell as well as cookbooks. Just ask your local bookshop if you don't believe me. Nanny Piggins, said Michael. What is it now, asked Nanny Piggins. Can you smell smoke, asked Michael. Oh, my goodness, cried Nanny Piggins. The textbook! When she threw open the oven, there was a roaring fire inside, so she shut it again quickly and ran and got the fire extinguisher and put it out. I'm afraid your textbook has seen better days, said Nanny Piggins. My physics teacher is going to be so cross, said Derek. Don't be ridiculous, said Nanny Piggins. He'll never know. I think he'll notice if I take a pile of ash to class, said Derek. We'll just make an exact replica of your textbook out of marzipan, said Nanny Piggins. He'll never be able to tell the difference. The biggest problem will be for you. You'll have to resist licking it. But if he sees you licking your textbook, he'll probably just think you really enjoy the subject. You'll get an even higher mark. So it'll be a win-win for you either way. And that's exactly what they did. The end. Okay, well now this week we're going to do something a little bit different. I want to make the episode a bit longer, so I thought I could do that by doing two stories. So I'm going to do another story. It's just going to be a short one. It's actually going to be a poem I wrote many years ago. Uh, I was at a meeting at my publisher and I, I was pitching new books and I was pitching books for younger children and my publishers explained to me that no one would buy my books because my books had words that were too big. And, you know, sometimes you sit in meetings and people say things to you and you're like, oh, okay. But as you drive home, it sort of goes around and around in your brain and it it gets under your skin. And then the only way to get it out from under your skin is to write something mocking the silliness of their idea. So I wrote this poem. And you, you may have heard it already if you've gone to the Buy Me A Coffee page. I had it up there as like a bonus thing. But I'm going to record it now for the podcast. I'll try and put something else as a bonus up on the Buy Me A Coffee page later. But right now, let's do this story. So this is called Some Children Like Big Words. Here we go. Juliet was a precocious child. She liked big words a lot. She had a multitude of feelings, and she didn't care a jot if no one understood her, because monosyllables could not express the visceral emotion she struggled to suppress. When her brother squeezed her juice box, splashing fruit punch on her dress, her primary reaction was obviously distress. Another might scream, Wah! or let out a loud, Ah! But that was not Juliet's way. Of onomatopoeia, she'd have no bar. No, she would tell her brother precisely what she felt. You're an insufferable ignoramus to whom a thrashing should be dealt. Naturally, he did not understand her, but she didn't care a fig. She might be only four foot two, but her words could still be big. When a teacher told her off for picking at her nose, Juliet put him in his place when to her feet she rose. She told him what she thought of him. You, sir, are a subliterate, blithering bore. In tears, he soon was running right out the classroom door. When her mother told her sternly, "'Tidy up your room!' Juliet did not rush to fetch the nearest pan and broom. She scoffed at the suggestion, barking out a chortle. "'Ha! I defy your authority as a matriarchal mortal!' 
Her father put his foot down, saying, Stop your big-worded ways! But the compound-worded insults she threw back went on and on for days. Cease your expostulations, you tedious droning fool, who can barely emit an utterance without secreting drool. My vocabulary will not be curtailed in length, breadth or pace by a man whose cranial cavity could be leased as vacant storage space. Eventually this had to stop, and indeed it did. Juliet learned to curb her tongue when she met another kid, who wasn't as articulate but could express herself succinctly in the form of a flying fist that felled poor Juliet completely. And so Juliet learned her lesson. No more big words for her. Her extensive vocabulary had extended way too far. So today, if you should meet Juliet and ask, Tell me, how are you? She would not say, Your question is as facile as a stack of baboon poo. No, she'd simply grunt her reply, as other five-year-olds do. But I fancy the world is poorer without her great semantic wit, because for some feelings, large words are the only perfect fit. And that's the end of that little story. I hope you liked it. Now, just remember, if you're in Melbourne and you'd like to come to the launch of Friday Barnes 11, Last Chance, then go to fridaybarnes.eventbrite.com to get your tickets. It's on January 28th at noon at the State Library of Victoria. Okay, now that's it. So until next time, goodbye. <laughs>